And Lord, there is no other fount by which we must be saved. And so, Father, as we come before you today, once more we enter into your word. It's your word, Father, that convicted us. It's your word, Lord, through which we were saved. And it's your word that we grow and are maintained. And so, Father, we pray as we open it and study it, that you would bless us in it, that you would teach us and instruct us, that you would guide us and that you would bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, Happy Sunday. <laughs> Happy Sunday. morning. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Titus chapter 3. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. But if there isn't, if you'll raise your hands, if you need a Bible, the ushers will bring one to you. Titus chapter 3, start reading at verse 5. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Last week we had a test and some of you failed. If you don't know what that means, then don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, eh? Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Father, we just pray as we look at these things, that you would bless us, that you would guide us in them, that you would make them applicable to our lives, and Father, we would have a mind to do them. And so we lift up this next period of time just asking God that you would bless us and make this message, Father, real to our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Now, every Christmas, it started to be a tradition a couple of years ago, probably even more than a couple. Time goes so fast when you're getting older. But um, my wife cooks a prime rib. She cooks that prime rib every year. When I get home from church, it's just about ready to go. Well, we started this past Christmas meeting at my daughter's house out in Yucca Valley, and she kept up the tradition. Now, part of the tradition is, is that the patriarch, that means the oldest guy, which is me now, he's the one who carves the, the prime rib. Now, when a man carves the prime rib, it just means that he holds the knife. He has two women telling him what he's doing wrong and one woman telling him how to do it right. But nonetheless, as you're doing it, there's an element of torture to it because you're sitting there and you're smelling that prime rib. You know, they, you, they cook it and now you've you got to let it rest because it gets tired in the oven. And so you let it rest for a period of time. I think it's like five minutes or something like that. And then you sink the knife in and all the juices come out and it releases just this aroma that is so desirous. Well, we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, for we are to God the aroma of Christ, to those who are being saved and those who are perishing. God 
Well, God sees in us something that is well-pleasing. But what is it that releases the aroma? Well, for that prime rib, it's been in the heat. It's been in the oven for quite a few hours. And so for us, it's the heat. It's the heat when you are tested through trials and tribulations that releases that aroma of Christ. Now keep in mind, aroma, when you look at the book of Exodus and and Leviticus, it speaks of the various sacrifices, and it was that aroma of the sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. Well, we're that holy sacrifice. Well, we present ourselves as that living sacrifice, and it's that aroma of a living sacrifice. How you live your Christian life, that is going to be that well-pleasing aroma to God. And so today, we've got to consider ourselves, because it's how... Paul, to this young pastor Titus, is closing out this letter, what kind of aroma do I present to the Lord? Because there's a wide variety of them, as we all well know. There's those aromas, such as from prime rib, that's real pleasing. There's other aromas that can be just an undesirable stench. Which one? Which one am I? Which one am I to the Lord as I live my Christian life It's that which I need to concern. And so the Bible, certain things just kind of come around every so often. And every so often there's reminders and there's kind of personal tests. And when I say test, I'm just saying maybe a list that I go through and, and compare to where I'm at with the Lord. Have I forgotten certain things? Have I gotten away from, well, just as we read, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it's that day of my salvation, first love, that my life was altered. And really, you never progress away from that. You grow in that. And if I ever progress, or at least I think I'm progressing away from it, then in actuality, I backslidden. And so we have this biblical perspective that's different from the world. The world, they try to avoid their trials and tribulations. As far as us, it's not that we're asking for more, but we need to learn to embrace them. Embrace those trials and tribulations because it's in the midst of those trials and tribulations that the measure of my maturity is best seen. And again, it's not that I need to evaluate yours or you need to evaluate my maturity, but I need to evaluate mine and you need to evaluate yours so that we know that we are growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of ministry, we've got to see that ministry opportunities sometimes come disguised as problems. And problems very often come disguised as people. Because this is why we gather. It's for the purpose of the Word of God, number one, but for the ministry of the people, number two. You can't do without. We're not a church without either. Without the people or without the Word of God, we're absolutely nothing. And so we not only need to continue steadfast in the Word of God, but we've got to be open to the Word of God achieving this work, this work, and some of that work is going to be conviction. It's the heat of conviction, but it's going to release that aroma that is well-pleasing to God and beneficial to one another. Because again, everybody that comes here, you should leave here better off because, well, because somebody else ministered to you that day, or somebody else should leave better off closer to the Lord because you ministered to them this day as well. And so we've got to understand this perspective that we need to have the church. Again, it's not always coming with the mindset of receiving, but I have to go with the mindset of giving. We've been studying the first two chapters of the book of Titus under the heading characteristics of a Christian congregation. As we entered into chapter three last week, 
we saw Paul shifting gears, kind of changing things around to the Christian outside of the church, and we saw the theme is characteristics of a Christian citizen. And we're going to continue on under that heading with that mindset today. So we've been instructed on how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. Now it's how to be a witness out in God's world. As we've been prepared, as we've received preparation, we are then to go out and do the application. See, the teachings that you sit under, the study, the reading of God's Word should result in Christian character in your life. Again, that light that continues to be changed and continues to be brought into the image of Christ. People should be able to partake of that. And so you need to look in the mirror. Is that happening in my life? As we sit in service after service, as we sit in Bible study after Bible study, is there an outward change of my life that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we can so easily go to the flesh, but am I moving to that which is of the Spirit? Again, things, things that we need to consider. So as far as our approach to chapter 3, this study isn't going to be so much about troubles, trials, and testings, but we're going to look at how can I not be the trouble? How can I not be the trial? Or how can I not be the test? Because, yeah, the church, it's all about the people. But sometimes you think it'd be so much easier if there was no people. Because people are going to be where the biggest blessings come from. And people are going to be where the biggest trials come from. And so if I'm entering into the body of Christ, again, not as a pastor, but just as a, a member of a particular church, how can I best not be the, the test or the pest today? How can I truly be the, the, the blessing? How can I truly bring Christ into the realm of which God has called me to minister to? Minister, maybe it's in children's ministry, or maybe it's just out in the fellowship area after church, wherever it might be. How can I bring that blessing to, well, whoever it is that God desires me to bring a blessing? So what I want to look at is, is going to be under the, the, the heading is of, are you going to be a test or a pest? And so what is necessary to not be that in somebody else's life? Look at it from the opposite. How can I bring a blessing into somebody else's life? Well, first, there is my societal Christian duty. We looked at this in detail last week, verses 1 through 2. Paul says, Remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. I'll read the next two verses. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceiving, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. We saw the list that is presented here last week. We are to be subject to rulers and authorities. A Christian should be a model citizen. There should be something different than us or differs from, in us from the world. We are to be obedient. This is to be proactive in a submissive attitude. This is not don't be a bad citizen, but this is be a good citizen. Be somebody who stands out from the crowd. We are to be ready for every good or every godly work. This is a desire to serve in the midst of society. We are to speak evil of no one. This means to not slander 
to not curse or treat with contempt. We see that all over the place today, prayerfully not from the church. We are to be peaceable. This is to be friendly and gracious towards the lost rather than quarrelsome and belligerent. We are to be gentle. This is to be moderate, fair, and even-keeled. We are to show humility to all of mankind. This is to have a genuine concern for people that I come in contact with out in the world, and how much more so those people who are unsaved. If I'm acting like the world acts with the ranting and raging all of the time, where does the gospel fit in in all that? Where does the God? The world is going to be diametrically opposed to our views. There's no doubt about that. So am I going to go to an unbeliever here and try to argue him into the kingdom of heaven? I mean, do I come? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm completely against abortion. But how can I possibly argue an unbeliever to turn his views on that subject? He's got to come to Christ. He's got to come to Christ, because ultimately, we're going to see this. Matter of fact, we'll skip a little bit ahead. If you look at personal pronouns here, verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy. Then it says, He saved us. Verse 6, He poured out on us abundantly. Verse 7, His grace. This is all about what He does. And so I'm just entering into what He does, trying not to hinder that hinder the movement of the Spirit. And so, this is a work, salvation, that God wants to do, and I can't force that person into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I just do my part. I share the gospel from the positive, proactive position. And as I do that, then there's opportunity to see what God's going to do as this person then opens his eyes and his mind to what the Spirit has to say to that particular individual. We're always there beating people up and telling them, you know what, we've got a list of ten things you've got to do before you can come to this church. You know, God's got His Ten Commandments, but we've got our Ten Commandments, and you need to get in shape before you come in. That's not how Christ accepted me. He just simply said, come as you are. Come as you are. And man, I bought a boatload of sin. I bought a ton of ignorance. I bought all kinds of garbage. But it was Christ who relieved me of all of that. It's Christ who did the change. And that's one of the blessings that I can, you know, it's a, this is a personal thing that I'm just sharing with you, but it's one of the blessings that I can look back and I can see Christ doing just these little bits of work in my life. Little things that he convicted me of and, and, and desired for me to, to set aside and to, and to stop doing. For, for instance, for me, one of the things was drinking. I got saved. I didn't drink a lot. I was never a real big drinker, but I would have beer in the refrigerator, and I'd drink every so often, and again, no big deal. Nobody's gone to hell because they've taken a drink, and so God just impressed upon my heart. There just started to be this conviction with every beer tap that I would pop, and he just, I don't know. I can't just, I can't really express it much more than that, but there was just this conviction, and it was just kind of like I knew God was kind of telling me not to do this, and I kind of disobeyed for a while, but I'm learning to hear the voice of the Lord. And he ended up telling me, made it very clear to me, not an audible voice, but just made it very clear to me. And it's one of those things that I, I set aside. Now, that's just an example of one thing. There was many things, because there was a lot of things. But God does this thorough work within all of our lives. And everybody here would have a different story in what God has told them to do and what they did do. Now, there's us who will 
kind of play tug-of-war with God. God's told me not to do this anymore, I'm not going to do it. And then, you know, three months later, you're doing it again. And, you know, and you're, it, it's a process. It's this process that God is working out in our lives. And guess what? It never stops. It never stops. There's always, is there anybody here who's been completely perfected? Because I'm going to go sit down and you can come up here. That just doesn't happen. This is a continuous process that goes on until we're with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that I, I'm not to bring an offense out into this world. So the next way that we avoid being the test in the past is to realize the new creation that we have become. Again, verse 4, But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. And what we have here is, is dynamics of those who are a new creation. Now, preface, preface this little list with this, not every list is complete. This is what was going on in the church of Crete at the time, so these elements that are listed here were necessary. Um, really, if you want a list, read this. This is the list. But there are certain areas that God was ministering to that particular church. I believe that the Lord has called us to study the book of Titus, and so there are certain elements that this church is dealing with. There are certain elements that, these, that us individuals are dealing with as well. And so the idea here is, is to realize the magnitude of the power that caused change in your life, and that was the cross. That was the cross. You can call it the blood of the lamb, the fount as we were singing, sacrificial death, the atoning death, whatever. It's all encompassed in the cross of Christ. You were lost. You were unsaved. You were far from the kingdom of heaven until the cross of Christ. Love, love to you was something either somebody used to manipulate you or you used to manipulate them or get something from them or then to get something for you. You didn't know true love until the cross of Christ. You did not know God and the power of God and the might of God. You were going to find out at judgment, but instead, by His mercy, you found out truly what it meant by the cross of Christ. We're nothing apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything we are, it all starts at where that cross is planted, and that cross is planted at the pile of sin of all humanity. But really what that cross was, it was a death blow to the sins of men who would receive him as their Lord and Savior. It's that which has changed the course of history, and it's that which changed the course of your life, and it's that which we use to see the course of other people's lives changed as well. We never venture away from the cross of Christ. The preaching, the preaching is always to be about the cross of Christ. We may go in, in different directions. For instance, we studied Leviticus a couple of years ago, but the cross was prominent there. We see the cross in every, every chapter, every verse of the Word of God. It's always got to be pointed at the cross because if it's not pointed at the perfect work of Jesus Christ, it's pointed at the imperfect work of somebody or something else. And so the cross of Christ always points to what God has to tell us. And again, as Jesus said, the, the, the two greatest commandments are to love God and to love others. We see that in the cross of Christ. Just look at the picture that is painted there. 
you've got the vertical beam, which points us to God, and God, we are to love God with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, and all of our might. And then you see the horizontal beam, we are to love others as we love ourselves. And there was this permanent picture that has been, has been impressed upon us by this logo of love that God has given us, and it's all about the cross of Christ. And so we'll never get far from that whatsoever. Paul, when he came into Corinth, says, I come preaching nothing other but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was talking about preaching the cross of Christ. And so, let me get back to where I was now. Kind of got off on a tangent there. This is the power of God. It's all about the power of God through His Word that changed me, and that is based upon Christ's cross. Now, not only was it able to change me, and if I'm speaking to born-again believers here today, it's also that which is able to maintain me. What's going on in your life? How's life going? Now, if I ask that, most people would say, yeah, it's going all right, or it's fine, or great, you know, whatever. But there's always issues, because I know you people, you all got issues. We all got issues. But Christ caused that great change. But now as I have his word that saved me, I've got his word that maintains me. And so often we can forget that. Because how many people do you know, and maybe you've done this yourself, you get saved and you kind of, okay, well, I've done that. Now what do I go on to? And you kind of go on your life, and though the cross is there, you've kind of wandered away from the cross. Now, the cross saves you, but it also maintains you. You always stay within the shadow of God's wings under that cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we forget this, we tend to fail or to fall into the flesh. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh or mature in the flesh? What was going on in the area of Galatia? Galatia wasn't a city. It was an area in southern, uh, southern modern-day Turkey. They have received Jesus Christ by faith. And it just opened the doors to salvation. And it was a great thing. Now, Paul was going from city to city to city. And Paul went on and he went to the next city. But these Judaizers came in after them. These are people that kind of had a hybrid religion of Christianity and Judaism. And they were going behind them and saying, okay, now that you're saved, that's all good and fine. But now you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do this. And the problem is they're bringing them back to this bondage that man could never bear in the past. And so that's what Paul was saying, that are you so foolish? You began in the Spirit. You received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but now you're, seen to be, you're trying to be perfected in the flesh? It's just not going to happen. When Peter had one of his first opportunities in the world, notice how he responded in the Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this whole brand new, this whole brand new life and new life was opening up before Peter as he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit and understanding the magnitude of what was accomplished upon the Christ, on the cross of Christ and how that Good news can be worked through him and into the life of others. Now, we have this visual with this man who was born lame here that Peter's speaking to, and he rises up and he's healed. He's changed instantly, and he's rejoicing in the Lord. And I see this guy, and I go, I wonder, what happened to that guy? I wonder what happened to that guy. He, there he is, like every other day. They carried him and plopped him down in front of that gate called Beautiful. And he was sitting there begging for alms. And so today's just like any other day except for, here comes Peter and John entering into the temple for prayer. 
Peter and John were just going about their daily routine. This guy was going about his daily routine, but now preparation and opportunity have a chance to meet. And here you have Peter, a man who is prepared in the Holy Spirit, meets this man, and this man's life has changed. He stands up and he glorifies God. I wonder if he glorified God all the way to the end. Are you glorifying God all the way to the end? Have you done, have you done inventory of your life and the things that you do and how you conduct yourself? Are, are you truly glorifying God? I mean, don't, 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 don't allow that to get past you. Don't, don't just look at that as a Christian cliche. Are you glorifying God? How do I glorify God in the details of my life? And again, we're going to look at a list in a little bit, I promise. But I've I, I got to make that determination. Am I giving God glory through this life? He saved me for his reasons, and he saved me for his holy purposes. And he desires to, God, Lord God of the universe, desires to use me. Have I made myself available for the master's use? I've got to consider that. Again, we looked at the pronouns that are used here, and this is all about a work of God, but have I opened myself up to this work that God wants to do? So by way of remembrance, because we so easily forget, let's look at God's revelation of salvation. And the first point that I want to look at is in verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. That word kindness is the first step of salvation that initiated repentance. We're told this in the book of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, or do you despise the riches of his goodness or kindness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? It wasn't the threat of God that led us to repentance. That was traditional religion. That was the religion that I had been mixed up with with 20-some years. There was always this thing that God is mad, and you better not mess up, or you better not get caught, or better go to confession anyway. And I was always concerned that God is seated on this throne, and he's mad at me, and he's not happy to me, and I could just only hope that I could get into heaven. Well, it, it, that was completely misrepresenting God. God loved me, and he loved me tremendously. He desired to see me saved and to come to his, into his kingdom. And so I can look back and I can see the people whom he sent into his life, into my life. And it was by, only by the goodness of God that I came into the kingdom of heaven. Goodness, goodness in its purest form, is whatever is produced by God. Matter of fact, the word God, G-O-D, is an Anglo-Saxon term for the word, or the term, the good one. That's what God literally means, the good one. Now, that's simple terms that are really deep. He's the absolute purity of what is good. Not just good in our estimation, but good in God's determination. He is the absolute purity of righteousness and holiness. It says in do you despise the riches of his goodness or his forbearance? Forbearance means tolerance. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, But by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was God's warning to Adam to not eat of that tree. We don't know if it was an apple tree, but whatever that tree was. But notice, they did eat of it, and they didn't die instantly. But death did enter into the equation. What was God doing? God always gives space and time for repentance. 
It's because of the graciousness of the Lord. He gives space in time. There was a penalty to be paid for sin. I was a sinner. I was far from God. But God, he strove with me. He was there with me. He continued to to have patience and tolerance with me. He wasn't justifying my sin, but he wanted to justify the man and because of that, judgment did not come instantly. Sometimes I abused it, but now I rejoice in it because God waited all of those years. He was more patient than my sin was. And as he came into my life, he altered it. He's long-suffering. This is God striving with sinful man. That means I can look back and see how God truly did suffer with me. Again, verse 4, verse 4 speaks of that cross but when the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared. It appeared to all of humanity upon Mount Calvary. So there was the kindness, and then secondly, there was the love for mankind. This is the love that motivates one towards another that is in pain, in trouble, or in danger. We were in the pain, the the results of what sin brings. The trouble, we were going to be judged, and in danger of eternity apart from God. Now, your kids right now, they're in class, and they're learning about the flood, knowing the flood. Now, the question that is being taught today is, or being asked today is, was it a worldwide flood? And so we were considering that. Was it really a worldwide flood? And I look at that, and I was talking to the teachers about this the other day. Well, the flood is to represent the judgment that is to come upon all the world. Sooner or later, all the world is going to be judged. But we should see, okay, so if the flood represents worldwide judgment, I should see that reflected on the other side according to the goodness of God. And as I look at the goodness of God, I've come to find out that God so loved the world. And as God's love for the world is truly not localized but worldwide, that would justify how the flood would be worldwide since the world is going to receive judgment. I just see the magnitude of the love that God has. God so loved the world. Now, when he says the world, he means everybody in the world, but it's bigger than that. It's eternity past, eternity future, at least within the constraints of creation. And I see the magnitude of the love that God has. Because there are some people you can think in your mind, and you're going to start thinking of them in a minute, Is heaven really heaven if they're there? If I run into them in the hallways of heaven, is it still really going to be heaven? And you can have some people that are very trying and testing, and we can consider that, but no, God loves all. God loves all and desires to see all man come to a saving knowledge of who he is. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in verse 5, we see that there was mercy for mankind. Mercy is how God relates to the condition of the sinner in his sin. He doesn't give him what he deserves. Hebrews 8.12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Fourthly, in our salvation revelation, there was the washing of regeneration. Again in verse 5, This is simply the idea of being born again. How were you washed? You were washed by the Word of God. Somewhere along the line, somebody was bold in your life. Somebody was maybe even bold to the degree that you're not really willing to be bold even today. 
But they were bold, and thank God that they were bold because they shared the Word of God with you. And when they shared the Word of God with you, God opened this door that had been slammed shut within your heart, and you came to the point of belief. And as you believed in that message that was given, then God used it to alter the course of your life. And I can look back and I can see not only how was my life altered, but my wife's life has been altered. My children's lives are altered. And even my grandchildren, as young as they are, I see the path of glory that they have set before them because of somebody opened their mouth. Somebody wasn't afraid. Somebody wasn't ashamed of the gospel. They, 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 they didn't neglect to see the value of the gospel and what it was able to achieve in somebody's life. And unfortunately, we in the church today, we can so easily do that, neglect to see the necessity of the gospel preached. Because people don't just get saved. It has to be a born-again believer who opens the mouth. It has to be the church that is proactive in preaching the gospel, I mean, at least speaking the gospel out there. And as I've said so many times, each and every one of you, if you're a Christian, if you're a born-again believer, you should have the gospel memorized in a concise manner that if given the opportunity, especially when you're ill-prepared to do so, but given that opportunity to be able to share the gospel with somebody. Because if you're ill-prepared, you're going to be rarely, if ever, used. But I guarantee you, if you go home today, I mean, look up on the internet, Romans Road. If you go home today and you prepare yourself, I guarantee you God will give you opportunity. If you're not prepared, and, and this, is almost like, this is almost a cruel thing, he's going to give you opportunity. You're not going to know what you did or what you were supposed to do. And you're going to realize the opportunity that you missed. And so be prepared. Be ready for every good work. And I guarantee you God will bring good works to your door. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And then fifthly, the fifth revelation of salvation in verse 5 is renewal. Renewal speaks of the Holy Spirit's part in the sanctification process. This is the power of God to change you. Now, sanctification and salvation are closely linked together because really salvation is part of sanctification. Sanctification is just simply the removal of ourselves from the world and be brought in, being brought into God's kingdom. And so on the day that I was saved, somebody spoke the word of God. But what was the power behind it? It was the Holy Spirit that altered my life. It was the Holy Spirit that changed me. It's the Holy Spirit that convicted me. Because again, why would anybody, who cares if you gave up alcohol or if you had that, you know, you weren't an alcoholic. Why would you do something like that? The Holy Spirit just said so. Holy Spirit said so? Did he say, Mike? No, it wasn't that. There was just that conviction and there was that knowledge. I can't explain it to you in detail. It's one of those things you can't really explain, but once you experience, you know exactly what's going on. And really, if you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, and never again will you be able to sin freely without conviction. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, that's a bad thing you just did, but you know what that conviction is as the Spirit works in your soul. Because again, God loved you too much just to leave you how you were, and he loves you even so much more that he's going to mold you into whom he desires for you to be. We have this God who is so great and so compassionate. And so this is God who empowers us to change. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The sixth revelation is a validation of salvation. The sending of a son, this is in verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. God loved the world that he gave of his son. He sent his son so that we would understand who God is. If you read through the one-year Bible, we're in Exodus, and we've just seen where Moses went and got the law. And they came to this mountain. They saw God on the mountain. They didn't see a man up on the mountain. What did they see on the mountain? They saw the glory up on the mountain. Because the Bible's very clear. Nobody has looked upon the face of God and lived. There was this glory. This is the absolute purity of God that would cause a person to come into his presence who hasn't been cleansed of his sin to perish. You can't even get close to it. I I saw something. I don't remember where I saw this, but it it was kind of, well, you'll get the joke here in a minute, but it was just this little news flash. North Korea puts first man on the sun. (laughs) Because first, you know, you're kind of, you're just reading through things and you, wait a minute, that's impossible. Because nobody can get close to the sun. I mean, you, you, you know what would happen, you know, as you come closer and closer, it's going to get hot and, and just whatever, it's just going to explode into flames. That's the same thing coming into the presence of the Holy God. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's only, we saw that just a, a, a few weeks ago, that the only Nobody has ever seen God. Nobody has ever looked at God. The only way we see God is the exact representation of God through Jesus Christ. He's God, but what I'm talking about is the Father and all of his purity. Christ set aside some of his godly attributes, became flesh, so that we would be able to see, know, and comprehend true God, true, who our God truly is and what true righteousness and holiness really is. And then the last stated revelation of salvation is justification by his grace. Verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Although you don't deserve it, you are now seen. Are you a born-again believer today? Are you a born-again believer? You have to consider that. You can't let that get past you. Is there that day on your life that you were changed? that somebody spoke the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit came upon you and altered you. If any man's in Christ, he's in new creation. If that came to pass, regardless of whatever it was that you have done in the past, now God looks upon you just as if you have never sinned. I mean, think of the magnitude of that statement because you all have sinned. We all have sinned a lot. We've enjoyed our sin at times. The Bible says sin is enjoyable for a period of time. But then we've come under the bondage of sin, but then Christ set us free from sin, and now the Father looks upon us as his favored children. We're told in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, that we who've received Jesus Christ are now children of God. And although my children were all sinners and my grandchildren are all sinners, I look upon them just as if they have never sinned. But if you're not part of the family, it's like, oh, those people, their kids are pain in the neck. But not my kids. They are pain in the necks, and they're probably pain in the necks to you if you know them. But I looked at them just as if they have never sinned. I, I kind of like your kids too, so don't get me wrong on that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, we are told, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. 
So once again, understand the magnitude of the forgiveness of God. And what we see here is, is God's grace and God's mercy. What is the gr- difference between God's mercy and God's grace? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting that which you don't deserve. The best way that I remember this is, it's God's mercy that keeps me out of hell. It's God's mercy that keeps me from judgment. I deserve it, but it's by his mercy I don't get it. But wait, it's not over. It's by his grace that I'm going to enter into the presence of God. Mercy keeps me out of hell. Grace gets me into heaven. It's getting that which I don't deserve. So again, here's this list. This, this reminder to you so that you wouldn't forget. Not, not to beat you up with it, but just a reminder to remember how good God has been to you in your life. To understand in the midst of everything that's going on in our society, and you know, my wife and I were talking about it last night, our society is a mess. And it's not Trump's fault. It's because man has turned his heart from God. And we see this isn't just in our country. We see this as worldwide. And if you read right here all the way to the end, it's going to get a whole lot worse. But the thing about it is, God, God entered into our lives. Yet while we were still sinners, he died for us. But then even that one day, even when we were walking in darkness, this marvelous light entered in and altered the course, uh, well, altered the reality of, of who we are. Now, based upon what he has done, what kind of people should we be? And these are the things, as we go through lists like these, that we really need to consider, that you need to do an evaluation in your life. Am I really living up to these things? Because if you're just coming here and sitting here for every Sunday and just kind of going through the routine, if you're keeping your eyes open, but in actuality your brain's fast asleep, are you even really saved? Are you really saved? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? These things are serious because you just never know. You never know when your life is going to be required of you. And so our resulting behavior based upon these seven things, look at verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to confirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for men. How do I avoid being offensive? by being godlike in all of my relationships, to be that citizen out in society that is representing Jesus Christ. It's why we're ta- told in Ephesians and in Colossians, take off the old man. You, you, you come home from work, you're sweaty, you're dirty, you take off all that stuff because, well, especially me, when I was working electric, I could get pretty dirty. We did a job out in General Tire in the city of industry. They were closing their factories down. And I had to go up there and lift and take down lights when I was an electrician. And on top of those lights was about an inch of this fine rubber powder. It was just, a, and as soon as you, t- it just got, you know, so I came home just, just filthy. My wife wouldn't hug me. She didn't really want to get too close to me because it was summer and you're working up there too. So you were hot, stinky, sweaty, and all full of black rubber. And so what I had to do is I had to take off all that garbage. I had to be washed clean. And then I put on the new. And then I was all fresh and smiley Mike. And then she gave me a kiss. But that's how we are to be out in society. All society is out there in clothes that they look like a bunch of dirty bums, if you will. We put on Christ. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that they would see. They would see a life lived to the glory of God. What they're doing right now in a lot of this, they're trying to hold on to their process of making heaven here on earth. That's not going to happen. 
Matter of fact, it's going to become more and more like hell here on earth. But we are destined for heaven. We're going to God's glorious place. We need to put Christ on. We need to act accordingly. And then lastly, how to avoid becoming the test or the pest. Don't confuse the heavy with the holy. Don't confuse the heavy with the holy. And what I mean by heavy, it's those things that we would call in our Christian lives deep. Verse 9, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Now he's talking about within the body of Christ. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. We can so get all involved in all of these historical debates that man has never been able to come to a conclusion on and cause divisions within the body of Christ. Calvinism and Arminianism has been a classic. Now, am I a Calvinist or am I an Arminianist? Sometimes an Arminianist, sometimes I'm a Calvinist. It just depends where the word of God goes. Now, if somebody's a staunch one way or the other, they would laugh and say, well, you can't do that. And they try to get you over to their side, but in actuality, they're choosing upsides, which is divisive in the body of Christ. If you have beliefs that lend towards Calvinism, praise God. Just love Jesus, put on Christ, and go out and share the gospel. And the same thing if you're on the other side of the equation. And if you don't know what either of those really mean, then you're even so much the better off. Just go forth and understand that you're a child of God through faith in Jesus and be found faithful in what God has called you to do. Because we still get caught up in these things and we call these things heavy or meaty or weighty or deep or whatever. But in actuality, they're just wedges that drive and divide the body of Christ apart. And again, you have to note how that person is being described, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Anybody who's using anything as a wedge to divide the body of Christ, it's, well, you see God's impression of them there verses 12 to the end of the chapter. When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Let all who are with me, or all who are with me, greet you, Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Characteristics of a Christian congregation. How are we doing? How can you make it better? Characteristics of a Christian citizen. How are you doing? How can you be better? Father, I pray that you would cause us to consider these things because it's in the midst of these things, how we are, how we conduct ourselves in the house of God, that, that, Lord, we, we see that that's going to have major impact upon the ministry that you have called us to. Lord, how we conduct ourselves as we are out there in the world, it's going to have major impact, Father, in what you want us to do. And so, Lord, the question needs to be asked, what do you want us to do? Well, you answered that right at the beginning. We are to go forth and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have not been called to build any one particular church or to glorify any man or build any kind of kingdom that is apart from yours, but we are just to be faithful in all that you have called us to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would 
Fill us with your spirit. Enable us to get over and to get past ourselves. And Father, I pray that we would be people motivated by your cross, the cross where you died to yourself for the benefit of the others. Father, I pray that we would be people who die to ourselves for the benefit of others. But Lord, we can talk about these things, we can study these things, but unless people are right in your sight, it matters not. We've got to do the first things, and the first things need to be done first. And so, Father, I pray for everybody here. I pray for those in the fellowship hall. Anybody maybe listening to the study? Where are we at with you, Lord? I pray, was there that change at your, in your life? Is there that moment that you can point to the day of your salvation? Because it's through salvation that my prayers are heard before God. It's through salvation that I possess the Holy Spirit that, number one, keeps me for that day of my salvation, but also guides me through my Christian life. It's through that day of my salvation that I'm able to have a confidence and a surety that I'm a child of God. And so all things start from that point. And so today, if there's anybody here that does not have that point, if you don't have that point to look back to, this is the opportunity. And this isn't just something that you randomly desire, but this is something that God guides you to. As the word of God has gone out in this place today, it's time for that consideration and maybe even that commitment if you have yet to commit. And so as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, because this is something that is personal, but it's also something to be done in a public manner. Everybody that Jesus called, everybody that Jesus said, come and follow me, it was done in the public because it's all for the purpose of a witness. And so again, if you've yet to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you're just not sure and you need that point, lift your hand up and just allow me to, just allow me to see it, to recognize it, and to acknowledge it. Is there anybody here today? Again, if you're in the overflow area, you can lift your hand there. Not going to make a spectacle out of anybody. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. This is something you're doing in response to the Lord. I see your hand off to my left. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? It's a hard thing to do, but it should be a hard thing to do because this is surely as Christ gave his life upon the cross, he's asking you to give your life because of the cross. If you're in the fellowship area, you can raise your hand there. Is there anybody else before we pray? Anybody? Don't allow this moment to get past. I see your hand to my right. Anybody else? Just want to be patient in case there's somebody here struggling today. Allow the Spirit to speak to your heart. Submit yourself to the Spirit and you'll see your life change. Anybody else before we pray? You can put your hand down. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and you've seen the hands that have gone up before you, Lord. And Father, these are just your children reaching up to you, desiring, Father, what it is that you have to offer. And Lord, just the things that we've talked about are things that we are to be working on. But Father, instantly we have right standing in you. We're justified, seen just as if we've never sinned. We're looked down upon as your children. And Father, I pray that the remainder of our lives, even those who know that we are saved, but Father, this would just be one of those checkpoints where you have spoken to us and we would look back at this time as a time to make a vow, to make a commitment, to move forward in you. And so, Father, you have called us to make a difference in this world. First, Lord, I pray for the difference that needs to be made in our lives and pray that it would spring forth from that. So we just thank you for this morning. I pray for those who have lifted their hands that you'd fill them with your spirit and enable them in your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please?